Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Tzadichet, page 98. So from the top of the daf, almost the very top of the daf, we have here a statement in the name of Rava Amarava, Had Amura Banan Ein Av This is a not politically correct kind of statement, but Rava is referring to a statement that the, that the sages said that a non-Jew has no Av, has no what we'll call patrilineage, that there's no direct father line. Um, so Rava says about this statement that the Rabbanan said, he says, don't say that this is because they were so promiscuous that they just didn't know the, the parenting, the father the fatherhood, meaning Maternity, you can check pretty easily, right? But but they didn't know the fatherhood um, because the fact is, the claim is that even certain that the father is the father, that the claimed father is for certain the father, uh, that is still not considered halachically um, an av for the non-Jew. We have a proof for this from the case of two twin brothers, identical brothers, identical twins. So, fascinating. Yardena, I'm sure you have much to say on this. The fact that there is the scientific knowledge, even back in the time of the Gemara, that an identical twin was, you know, from one drop that divided into two, which is pretty much the way we describe, I mean, you know, some details are missing, but that's the basic gist of identical twins. Um, so then, obviously, these two, who are identical twins, have the same father. But Katani Seifa, lo chotzin mean, and yet... Later, they understand that they do not perform chalit, they don't do chalit, and they don't do yibum, even though they have the same father. Meaning, here, let's say they would convert or whatever, and then we would know that they're, they're identical twins. We know that they're brothers, right? And instead, we say, no, it's as if they have no father because of the fact that they were born non-Jewish, right? So then their issue is, um, meaning it, it flies in the face of, what of the facts standing before the sages, and nonetheless, this is the halacha. And the claim there is, and we say that the the Rahmana, that Hashem, right, treats the male Gentile, right, the non-Jew, treats him like um, he doesn't have children, right? He takes away the children of the non-Jew. The pasuk here, the verses from Yecheskel, the book of Ezekiel, whose flesh is the flesh of donkeys and whose semen is a semen of horses, meaning the same way that a non-Jew will have a child, a male non-Jew, again, we're talking about paternity, not maternity, um, then it's more related to him. Than the than the progeny of a horse or a donkey. Now, I imagine if you deal with thoroughbred horses, you care about paternity a great deal. But the claim here is like ah, there those those animals, and I do mean animals. I'm not conflating the two here. The animals, you know, they're not worried about who's the father of whom. And here too, the claim is that in non-Jewish um, parentage, the paternity is not counted. It is not considered. Ligamar goes on. Tashma, we've got another proof, meaning another proof to say that the paternity is not counted, that there's no 
אב. אמר רבי יוסי, מעשה בנבטיים הגר, שנשא איש אל אחיו מאמו, ובא מעשה לפני חכמים. So what happened? We've got, רבי יוסי brings a story of נפטיים, נפטיים was a convert, and he married the wife of his half-brother on his mother's side, which makes him a half-brother. And then, of course, they bring, of course, this case came before the sages, the concern was, you know, is this, in fact, a violation of the arayot, of the illicit sexual relations that are prohibited in Vayikra? And they said, well, there's no, the sages said there's no valid marriage for the gare. Well, I mean, how can you say that there's no valid marriage for the gare? But the gare, the kadesh, How could you say that it doesn't count as Kiddushin? Meaning, of course it does. What you don't have for the non-Jew is the prohibition, that Vayikra prohibition against the, um, the wife of the previous, you know, the wife of your brother that you could not marry her. My love, the Nasva, Ach Kishahu Ger. So what does that mean? We're talking about, are we talking about a case where The brother married, I mean, they were talking about brothers, right? So then who's, who's the convert when? And the point is that the, even though they're brothers, the fact that they share a biological father does not have halachic standing, that from a halachic perspective, they are not related on the father's side. Um, okay. The Gemara says, no, we're talking, we're talking about a case, not when of a couple, not of, um, brother who got married when he was a ger, but when he was a non-Jew. And what, what do we say when he was already a non-Jew? And then he converted. Um, once he converted, I think they, were, they weren't married at the time that they converted. So let's, you're going to say that Chazal should say that this marriage was prohibited, meaning because he was non-Jew, right? So then we're going to say, no, because because of the prohibition against their marriage, that would be the case even if the brother had already converted. Meaning all of this is reduced to say, no, there was no such decree. Like, don't worry about this case. You don't need a decree because, again, because there's no paternity there. Tashma, another proof. Da'amar ben Yas, Yasian. He has a story, Ben Yasian. He went traveling. He's traveling overseas. He finds a convert who marries the wife of his brother on his mother's side. So I said to him, you know, who will let you do this? So he says, on this very bench, meaning as where they have this conversation, Rabbi Kiva was there, and he said two separate things. Uh, Namely, a convert can marry the, the wife of his brother on the maternal side. He also quotes this verse from the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. Namely, the word of, of Hashem came to Yonah a second time. Shemit dibra imo shechina. A second time, God spoke to Yonah. Shlishit lo dibra imo shechina. But a third time, the shechina doesn't talk to Yonah. Meaning, he only, that was the end of Jonah's prophecy. Why is this relevant? 
Ketani mihad ger no say shall achiv me mo my love to dasva achiv kishu ger. So we don't have the answer yet about Jonah. But the Gemara goes back to say that what this teaches us, meaning Rabbi Kiva's statement teaches that the Ger could marry the wife of the brother on the mother's side. Um, and then the question is, you know, what about the case where the convert's brother married her when he himself was already the convert? This was the case that we mentioned above. And the Gemara says, Lo, Denas, Vikashu, Goy, no. They met, got married when he was a non-Jew. So rather, we're going to say, if you want to decree that the same way that the marriage between the convert and the Eishet Ach was prohibited because, you know, even though they got married when the brother was a non-Jew, because of the concern of what if they would marry when he's already a convert, the, the Breta again says, no, there's no such decree. Don't worry about that. Do not worry about that. Um, okay. And, but we're told um, not again, not PC, but interesting. Ben Yassian, who tells his story, right? Isn't he also a convert? Is he himself a reliable witness? So we have this um, general principle rule, right? The Rev Abba said, the Rev Huna said, the Rev said that when you have a, a Tamit Chacham, you have a scholar. Who teaches halacha, and he says this before there's ever a case about it. Then you listen to him. But if he, if the psak is after the fact, then you don't listen to him. Meaning, then it's like um, potentially a vested interest or something like that, right? So then the question is, you know, you want to say that the convert taught this, and then only afterwards it came to be about the sister-in-law. Well, you want to say the gemara here says. The same way he said that the woman and her seven sons were sitting on that bench, namely in the case of Rabbi Akiva. So you can say that Rabbi Akiva said that the kind of marriage was permitted, but you could also end up saying that it's a different kind of case because it was literally a different kind of case. Um, and then talking about Rabbi Akiva before it happened, meaning talking about Rabbi Akiva is not talking about the case after it happened, it's talking about a different case before it happened because they were technically different cases. I just want to mention this issue of Jonah, the book of Jonah, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Yordana. Um, the whole story here about Hashem coming to Jonah a second time and not a third time, right, which implies that there was never a, another nevoah to the book of to, to Jonah himself. Um, so then the Gemara says, well, in a second, don't we know of another case of of Nivuah, and that's cited for the book of Malachim. I'm not reading it inside, but the Gemara does talk this out. Um, and so then Ravina says, no, Rabbi Kiva was saying that Yonah doesn't talk about Ninveh a third time, which a little bit begs the question, right? Because, yes, it's true that the entirety of the book of Yonah seems to be about Ninveh, the place where he's going to prophecy against or whatever, to to get them to, to reform, um, but it, as opposed to as a general comment, um, I would say that we could probably come up with a, a nice Vartora about the phenomenon of the conversion of the people of Ninveh. But it does seem a little bit um, disparate, right? The fact that this whole discussion is here and it becomes like a, a, a real, it gets, the Gemara gives its real attention to what's really going on in the book of Yonah and Rabbi Akiva's comments and so on. And in the meantime, it's just kind of like, Yes, it's Rabbi Kiva, and yes, he said those two statements at that time 
But beyond that, there doesn't seem to be a, some kind of natural connection. Again, without working hard to make a Dvar Torah about it. So, I, yeah. The twins that was mentioned at the beginning. Um, you know, it's interesting to see the Gemara sort of has it right that it splits. They think the origin is from the sperm, but we know that actually the way identical twins happens is that the egg gets fertilized with the sperm, it forms a zygote, and then that splits into two, and that's how you get an identical twin. So then they understand the idea of splitting, which is kind of cool, um, but the origin of it, you know, that it, it, they seem to imply, I mean, again, I don't know that they understood what fertilization was, but at least before, uh, you know, it was a little bit correct, but I agree with you, it's understood this at all. And I wonder, there's no discussion here about fraternal twins. That's my real question. Like, do they think all twins, this is that? Or, you know, or do they have a distinction? They must have had a distinction because their boy and girl twins are clearly not the same. Right, right. So, yeah, it would be two sperm fertilized two eggs. So that's not what they're talking about here, you know? So I... I, I Right, I'm just curious what they knew about it. Right, right. I don't know. It would be interesting to understand move on to a Mishnah. So we're going to end up finishing this parak uh, in a couple of Dapim. And the rest of this parak is basically going to discuss a variety of, of um, the parentage, I guess would be the word we have, is, uh, is not completely clear or, or of a few children. So, and again, these are going to be chartable Mishnayos. You're going to need to learn this with a chart. So there are five women whose male children became, they use here as like mixed up with each other or some English translations will say with one another. Um, but the idea is, is that there's birth to a boy and, you know, they sort of, the babies themselves got mixed up. It's not clear which baby actually goes uh, to which woman, right? Like they somehow got mixed up. This is like everybody's night birth in a hospital and you've heard of these crazy stories, you know? So I'm liking that it's sort of this soap opera piece of Yavamos continues. Right? The children, these, you know, these mixed up children grow up. The Nasuna Shimba Metu and they're married and they die uh, and they die presumably childless, Right. So how do the bro- their brothers, right, who they know who their parents actually are, what do they do with these five widows? Right? And perform chalitza. Uh, and one, the remaining one, takes her into, uh, takes her into Yibam. So another thing here is what, what this case is, is that there's five children born to five different women, it's not completely clear that the right child is being raised by the right woman. All of those child children, but they have other siblings in their growing up family. Those are actual siblings, right? Would they actually have to do, uh, you know, would, so would those siblings who are left, those brothers who are left, have to do Chalitza Nibum because they're not necessarily really their, uh, you know, they're not really the, necessarily their, uh, their, the, uh, the brother of the person who passed away. But yet that widow actually does require Yivam and Chalitza. We don't know what the true family relationships are, 
So we can't really their correct brother-in-law, right? Now, what would seem to be the easiest thing to do here is just to have everybody get chalitza done. But that we know that Yibam is really preferable to chalitza. So what they do here is, is that four of the brothers will do Yibum and will do chalitza. And then one, the remaining one, will do, uh, will actually do Yibum. Now, it seems clear, and the Gemara is going to discuss this, that all first before Yibum. In other words, you can't do Yibum and then do chalitza, right? And then it goes on to say, Then the one who married that first widow and the three of the other ones, they'll do chalitza with one of the other with one of the other widows, and then the one who's left of that five will do yibum. And then you basically sort of do that for all five of them. So it's basically found each man and like each woman will have chalitza done four times, and then she will end up with yibum. Now, to me that the Gemara sort of just right? that, you know, well, everyone just does chalitza, but I think this mission teaches us that Yibum is really the idea. And so the Gemara makes a point, right, that this process that has to be carried out in this order, they must do the chalitza first, the four men, right, but Yibum being done first is not going to be allowed. Because he could potentially uh, encounter like the 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 allow the marriage of a yibum of a yavama to a man from the general population, right? And since we don't really know, is she really, you know, marrying her brother-in-law, or if she's just marrying somebody from the general population? That's why we want the chalitza done first. But no, I still think it's interesting that this is sort of the solution. Doesn't seem like it should be, but again, I think it's trying to emphasize. That yibum is really, uh, uh, really important. Um, and then the Gemara goes on to ask, "My who lachat? What's the Mishnah's, you know, reasoning? Why do they say the first person who marries the first widow, right, and the three? It should seem to be also acceptable that the second widow sort of gets chalitza from the same four men." first widow could actually marry the second widow. And the Gemara, so the Mishnah basically is telling us, you shouldn't suggest, it says is that one man should take all five widows. Rather, it's better that only one Yibam. Because perhaps what will happen to him, that he'll actually end up marrying his own brother's widow, and, uh, you know, he actually will fulfill the mitzvah of Yibam itself. So in other words, because the idea is, is that we're sort of like trying to spread it. Like this is also an interesting point that the mission is trying to make. It's a less than ideal situation. So if we allow only one man to marry all five of them, I actually have done Yibam in the correct his brother's widow. But if we sort of spread it this way, Right, the assumption is we sort of don't know, and we don't know really what the outcome is. It this to me is an interesting, Mishnah. I don't think this is like a uh, in reality Mishnah. I think this is very down. And again, the whole point of this mission is to emphasize the importance of them, which is fascinating because I think one of the things we've talked about is particularly beginning 
of the Gemara, there seemed to be sort of an emphasis of like, we're not so into Yibum. It's we start off by saying all the people who can't do Yibum. And then along comes that sort of trying to tell us Yibum is so important that even if there's like this confusion about parentage, we're still going to allow it. So this parak unfolds, but it's is almost, you know, again, corrected for like the sort of anti-Yibum attitude. I feel like a lot of the masachat actually has. Interesting. I don't know that I related to all of this Mishnah as, you know, the straw man. I think some of it, you know, again, in establishing the parameters to the extent of it, then you also learn what to do in a lesser case, right? So on the one hand, I understand why that's like the theoretical construct. How far does this go? What does it teach us at large? But I think then also you know, the details are there in the event of ever needing, in the event of ever needing them, as opposed to, let's say, the riddles of the other day where we knew that, like, they just couldn't be, you know. Right. I, but again, you really think this Mishnah could be, like, be there to teach something else? Um, I think both. I think that it plays that dual role of, on the one hand, it establishes those outside cases, you know, which feel like, oh, come on. Except for that by doing so, then you also learn like the the middle ground that isn't the basic standard case, right? The basic standard case, I agree with you. Like that's what we've talked about for months now, right? Or weeks and weeks um, about, you know, Yibum in general, where it seems not to be ideal. But then what do you do when you kind of need Yibum, right? Right. So I think the other thing that's interesting, and, and you know, we'll close out the episode after this is, you know, I'm coming to appreciate more. Part of what's troubling with Yabamot is Chazal really wants to explore every possible detail and permutation of how Yabamos work. And they're not interested in sort of the emotional piece or the psychological piece. I just don't think that's their language or what they're interested in. And I think for modern learners, that's what's hard. Like, in other words, the intellectual exercise of it, we can all understand. But because it's missing that emotional piece. It's it's a very difficult and I think a lot of what's happening in Vermont is purely intellectual. Um, I hear that. I think now and again, and you've commented on it as well. Now and again, I think we did see like the degree to which Chazal were attuned to the human dimension of what was going on. I'm not sure that inserting all the pathos that that we fine to be lacking. And I agree. I think that they're lacking here, but I'm not sure that the Gemara would have come out ahead if they were all in here because like at some point it's, it needs to kind of establish like, what is the law? And if you get sidetracked by the emotions and you just want to throw things, which I think sometimes we want to, then at the end of the day, you're, you're stuck without really having fully explored the law. I, I give Chazal credit. I don't think that these cases, when they were real, when they were real life people undergoing issues of Yibo Merkalita, I don't think that they were insensitive. I, I just don't, it doesn't ring true to me, given given the degree to which they, you know, want to make sure that it's not happening this way and it's only happening under those terms and so on. I, I feel like this I is fair. a real difference I, between I, I, I the hear books. That point. I hear that point also. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stop on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.